Welcome to Reboot 2030, the, uh, the Democracy School's uh, YouTube channel. This is a new season of Reboot uh, Dialogues and Interviews, building on uh, last autumn's pilot series, where we had five dialogues over a period of five weeks. Um, we have, since last autumn, we have uh, developed the concept a little bit further. Um, this season, we, we have regular uh, guests. Uh, if you have followed us uh, last autumn, you will recognize uh, the names. Uh, but we've also got some additional uh, guests. The idea is, is that in future, people will enter Reboot as, as uh, discussions, as uh, additional guests. And if at the end of a reboot uh, interview, we feel that there's uh, more in it and that we want to expand it, then we develop it into a reboot dialogue and then they become regulars. So um, for this season so far, we have got nine uh, discussions, uh, nine live streams over nine weeks. Um, and it looks like a really exciting program um, on topics ranging from uh, uh, European and global democracy, touching on the conflicts uh, in, in Eastern Europe, uh, the war in Ukraine, um, and uh, and and of course, of course, on, on the, the climate crisis, which has been pushed into the background, uh, as it so often happens uh, when there is a an immediate crisis uh, uh, blaring up. Um, and um, so we will also look again at educational reform and other topics. So it should be a very broad, uh, informative and uh, exciting program. Um, if you want to have a look at the program, you'll find it at democracyschool.com forward slash news. And there you'll find a blog post entry, uh, democracy, uh, sorry, Reboot 2030 spring program. Uh, do have a look at that. Uh, be great if you, if you follow us throughout the season. Now, let me uh, uh, bring on uh, online, uh, our guest for today, um, Yongyin Khoi. He has been, uh, he's a regular, he's been here last, uh, 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 last season already, and uh, his, his main topic is, is to reduce our carbon footprint uh, through um, sort of economic means, uh, uh, e e economic policy, and he has uh, developed quite a thing around this whole notion of uh, 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 the uh, 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 climate uh, uh, pricing, uh, uh, carbon pricing, and the uh, the, the carbon uh, the carbon dividend. So let me bring him on and uh, introduce him to you. Um, there he goes. Let's see how he's coming on. Okay, it's loading. It's loading, and there he is. <laughs> Hi, Nico. Good to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing well, fairly well. Thanks. How about I, yourself? Yeah. I'm glad the communications have, have worked out in the end. Uh, you have changed jobs. Um, so congratulations to your new, uh, to your new job. Um, uh, Yangin, let me just very briefly introduce you. Um, you are now head of impact at um, uh, VDR Equity. Um, this is a kind of a move, I believe, from a sort of a not-for-profit uh, gig previously to something that is very much for profit. Is, is, that, is, is, is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, that's fair to say. It's, but it's the same area, which is impact investing, right? So uh, before I was more in the, on the impact investing advisory side, you know, for, uh, specialized on impact measurement and management. And now I'm applying it to practice uh, for climate impact. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. You're in the boiler room, as they say. You know, you're kind of <laughs> you're, you're kind of turbocharging. You know, kind of the, the 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 green businesses of the future. That's brilliant. I mean, it's 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 some 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 somebody has to do this, and of course, it's it's an exciting time to to be in that kind of clean tech uh, uh, field. Um, before you uh, were with Media Equity, you were at uh, Finio, which is has a very different profile. We just touched on it. It's a non for profit. Um, but you were again in this whole impact research field, weren't you? So you were kind of looking at similar issues, but from a different perspective. Can you just sort of very quickly tell me the difference between sort of a not-for-profit and a for-profit approach? Yeah, I mean, so um, actually at, at, at Fineo, I was in a, more in a, in a think tank and, and thought leadership capacity. Uh, and I was um, uh, actually focusing more on climate impact uh, over the past uh, uh, you know, one or two years, perhaps. Uh, so it was important for me to also um, try to understand uh, in more in depth, you know, what, 
how we can measure uh, also indirect and systemic impacts, which uh, and collective impact. So all these concepts of impact measurement and management that um, are evolving now as um, since uh, I would say the conventional impact management measurement practice uh, is uh, also establishing itself, uh, you know, more broadly. So yeah, thinking, trying to think ahead and um, uh, now is, is really, you know, they, it also included some um, consulting work and advisory work. Uh, so Fineo also as a nonprofit had a, had a, um, had a business or activities, had business activities which were which are paid and the, but which contributed to the whole mission. And here uh, it's a mix, right? It's uh, it's still it's very mission driven, yeah. But uh, uh, that's maybe the difference that uh, there is, uh, yeah, uh, the for profit uh, incentive too. Yeah. What 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 kind of what kind of investments are you broadly? I mean, as 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 as, a, as an investment firm, what kind of yeah. investments are you yeah. looking at? Yeah, so so really, uh, we want to invest in climate solutions. You know, looking for mid-sized companies uh, in the um, you know focused on the German Mittelstand, if you will, right? Uh, oftentimes, uh, further uh, upstream the value chains of uh, important sectors like renewable energy, you know, circular economy, electrification. Uh, but you know, coming myself with the, as a, having as the background in uh, engineering, mechanical engineering, and the uh, also uh, being interested in material science, for example, at technology platforms and so on. It's an exciting field to be in and to see, you know, more mature companies also who are already commercially operating. So if right. somebody so, if somebody yeah. was to look for uh, uh, for investment, what, what kind of profile would that company have to have to, to be of interest to you guys? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, so already mid kind of so financial profile, I mean? Yeah. It's, it's a very rough, rough, rough indication is maybe revenues or above, you know, between 30 and 300 million euros per year, something like that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Or, or also a profitable EBIT higher than, you know, four to five million euros. Ideally. Okay. Yeah. And uh, with a substantial share of or significant share of the business uh, with a climate solution that is uh, competitive and, uh, you know, needs to scale. Maybe can okay, help. so so really, it's kind of from round A onwards, isn't it? You wouldn't be looking oh, at much later than that. It's really well, established companies. You know, it's yeah, companies that are there can be there for decades or even you know. Okay, okay. Long, so this isn't even about paying people for MP, uh, IPOs. So it, it, it's literally so, so no, it, it's established uh, companies. So it can be it can be clean tech startups from twenty years ago or ten years okay. ago if they have scaled, right? And been operating, but oftentimes it's really older companies that are okay. you know, part of the middle stuff. Okay, excellent, excellent. Uh, and uh, you're investing mainly your own money, or are you working with pension funds and with other kind of investment companies? Yeah, yeah lots of um, you know institutional investors. Institutional investors, yeah. excellent, great, great. Okay, so uh, b before that, you worked uh, in, in 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 management consulting. Um, and, and of course, before that, again, you worked uh, again investment banking. So you don't have this very clear sort of finance investment kind of background uh, um, with an engineering kind of angle to it. Um, but um, so what brings you into this whole climate field? I mean, you know, you're, you're kind of almost exotic, aren't you, in that sense? Yeah, I, maybe it's uh, uh, I think the maybe most important part for me was the uh, systems design systems thinking part of it so uh, both in when i uh, was trained in mechanical engineering we had systems engineering uh, and also in business studies we had a, a, a course on systems design uh, you know but much less technical uh, but very fascinating and i think uh, in general i was fascinated by also uh, social sciences and how systems um, you know, uh, play a role there and uh, are defined and uh, there are system dynamics that apply to mechanical systems, but also to social systems too. So uh, with that in mind, I, uh, when I look at this, you know, climate crisis, uh, it's uh, most, it's to a large part, a systems design problem. You know, if you look at our economic system, our financial system. So, you know, I'm from an investment perspective, uh, I think it's, it's, um, straightforward to uh, understand what to do but uh, uh, i think there are certain uh, limitations that you have as a as an investor you know at the system level where structures and incentive you know systems and um, uh, play a huge role um, so so if you look at how the economic system is designed and there is a, a you know a legal framework behind it there is a 
corporate uh, law that defines the purpose of the corporation. But uh, these are, you know, systems that were designed, um, uh, you know, in the last century or even before when the climate crisis didn't play a huge role. And they are not uh, fit for purpose yet. You know, we can see that uh, you can do as much as possible as an investor, but you will get, um, you know, as long as, uh, for example, certain uh, um, important uh, climate mitigation investments are not sufficiently uh, profitable because the market structure, the market incentives don't allow for, for it to be profitable uh, at, at this stage, you know, due to a colossal market failure of, you know, being with, with negative uh, impacts of carbon emissions and, and externalities not being priced in by the market. So we have a situation where uh, lots of uh, investments that are urgently needed uh, cannot take place because they're not economically feasible. So uh, we have a huge climate finance gap. If we, there's an analysis by the Climate Policy Initiative uh, that um, anticipates a need for 4.3 trillion US dollar per year by 2030. And currently we are you know, between 630 and 700 billion US dollar per year. So globally, we need to you know, scale this up substantially, increase it sixfold at least. And what, what, what do you think will be the drivers? What, what will enable that scaling up? I mean, we've been, I mean, really, I mean, I mean climate change, you know, as, 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 as urgent yeah. and as current as it is, it's not new. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we, we yeah. have known this for, you know, at, at least for the last 40 to 50 years. Yeah. Um, and tragic. we, yeah. you know, and, and, and we haven't really moved much beyond kind of accepting that it is a problem. So, yeah. so, 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 so this in a way kind of brings us to this next question. What, what can mm. we do? And one, one kind of idea that you, that you are promoting is this idea of a sort of a carbon, uh, sort of, you know, uh, uh, um, a, a carbon tax. If it's you a like. combination of carbon pricing and climate income. You know, yeah. how you increase the price on carbon, whether it's through tax or emissions trading, as long as the effective uh, price increases for carbon emissions. You know, you want to have this effect that um, in the market, you know, climate solutions, low carbon technologies become more competitive relative to high carbon uh, technologies, right? You want to uh, just uh, uh, want to have less of uh, carbon emissions. So let's make it more expensive, but it has to be sufficiently expensive to have really uh, an economic effect, right? So it, in the end, it means that new fossil fuel exploration projects can't be that profitable as they are. They're highly profitable at this, at this point still, right? But at the same time, and this is the other part of it, um, I think it's really important to use the revenues that are generated by carbon pricing for climate income, you know, to ensure that consumer households are not negatively affected by the uh, increasing uh, prices for carbon intensive goods and services because they need time to switch, you know, they, they actually need additional support to make um, investments, you know, in low carbon um, uh, technologies, uh, uh, you know, it's not just electric mobility, but it's a heat pump, it's a solar, you know, the photovoltaics on your, on your rooftop, the solar thermal, and then uh, you, uh, after, you know, a certain uh, transition period, uh, I think you're not affected anymore by high carbon prices, right? Yeah. But to soften this uh, transition, you need the climate income. Uh, and uh, you need to support, especially the more vulnerable, lower middle income households uh, to, to ensure the support that you need publicly and politically, right? That's uh, right. That's, I mean, we have a really interesting situation, a very real life situation at the moment where, yeah. you know, the, the, you know the, this whole debate about, you know, should we cut oil and gas from, from Russia and the impact that would have on prices. And you, you can see a very different responses to this across Europe and across the world. Uh, some of them are ideologically driven um, and, and, and some of them are economically driven, but, but there is a, the, the, certainly in Germany, there is a great hesitancy uh, to, to let go of Russian oil and gas, because of course, if we do, it's not that there wouldn't be any more oil and gas for us, but we'd have to pay probably significantly more for it. Um, so, so, that, so, so wouldn't this be a time where we could sort of say, well, yeah, let's make that jump, but let's bring at this point in, you know, the, uh, the, the climate income, the carbon dividend, because that could indeed be a way yeah. and bring it in like at a kind of at an industrial or kind of a business to business uh, 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 level so that the German yeah. Mittelstand, would, would, yeah. you know, uh, wouldn't that be really a kind of a, a moment that one would want to size an opportunity? 
Yeah, it's a, certainly a moment to, uh, you know, uh, um, accelerate the transition and to double down on uh, renewable energy expansion and so on and not, you know, try not to expand uh, liquefied natural gas infrastructure, not to build new terminals. I mean, I see, I see it's, it's a difficult situation because this change has to happen so suddenly now, if we had, you know, started 10 years ago, wouldn't be such a big problem, right? But now we have this, this crunch and the uh, um, we have to think ahead, you know, make wise decisions and not lock ourselves into something that we don't want and don't need. Um, and uh, if we had a climate income, uh, it would be much easier for, you know, of course, for households to deal with the increased gas prices. Right now, there's a huge social burden, right? Uh, but um, yeah, so I think it shows us that uh, what, what benefits we could have had had we started, you know, earlier <laughs> with the transition and that we have to start now, you know, it's... it's um, long overdue yeah but isn't there isn't there another aspect to this i mean yeah. um as i said we've seen this you know this has been a long way coming it's not it's no surprise that we have to scale back on oil gas and fossil fuels generally speaking this has been like you know sort of a, you know a campaigning issue for for for, for decades now um and um and, and so, but, but and a lot of lip service has been paid to kind of, in a way, engage with those campaigning demands. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, we will. Yes, we will. But we need to. And, and so on and so forth. So, so now that, that, that this point has actually come where we would actually have to do it, uh, it's all of a sudden too sudden. So there, there is, of course, because it'll always, whenever you do start, there will be this point. Well, you have to jump, won't they? I mean, this is there's just no, you know, you you, you know, at, at some point you have to basically make that make that move. Uh, the question is, is yeah. are we at all willing uh, as yeah. a society to 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 do this, or are we learning at the moment the hard way that actually we're not willing to do this? I mean, if you look at the Green Party in Germany, for example, you know, they're in government. Um, you know, we have a green minister of the of the economy, um, yeah. and. Um, and we, you know, and, and, and a capable one too. I, you know, I, you know, he's, he's, he's a, a great guy. Um, oh. But I don't hear them make that. I make them make the kind of the patriotic argument that we should be, you know, supplying, you know, you know, heavy arms and this and that, and that we should be probably cutting oil and gas. And that we, but I don't really hear them make the positive case so strongly. You know, the case, you know, that this would actually not to look at it as a threat, as something, a crisis that needs managing, but to look at it in a positive way, to look at it as an opportunity that we have to grasp with both hands. And I don't oh. really see the Green Party do this. Do you any insight why why they might be so hesitant oh that's uh, difficult to tell for me it's uh, from my point of view but um, uh, what i what i see is that currently there is on the one hand you have a oil and gas lobby that is trying to use the situation to their advantage on the other hand the climate movement is also making a very strong argument you know for accelerated transition and the new uh, i think there's a, a you know, an uh, Easter package that's supporting renewable energy expansion. Uh, Germany also looks looks okay, looks looks decent. You know, like, like a contribution. And uh, so uh, we 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 are currently in the situation where we have different interests uh, fighting for you know future um, investments in new infrastructure. Uh, and where I, I can only hope and do what I can as, as you know, uh, in my personal capacity. And we can all, we must do this, you know, to ensure that uh, we don't um, follow the fossil fuel path uh, for the next, you know. I mean, there, there is a sort of, um, you know, from an e economic viewpoint, there is a sort of uh, the, the, the room for maneuver for the, certainly for the German Mittelstand, isn't that great? You know, so, so that there comes a point when German manufacturing simply isn't competitive anymore, where it's actually, mm -hmm actually costing money to keep the factory going just because of the high energy prices. So there is a kind of a point where, where we're actually literally destroying, you know, the, the economy. Um, but the question is, is um, um, and of course, on the one hand, on the other hand, for instance, the American oil and gas industry has never done better. I mean, they've never, ever produced yeah, as much oil and gas. profiting, as, you know. Unbelievable. Yeah, they, and and uh, the, the, the margins and the, and the kind of the price are just, I mean, this is a total seller's market. Um, so, so they 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 are basically laughing all the way to the bank, and of course, the the middle stand, the kind of small to medium sized businesses who cannot hedge energy prices in the same way as a global enterprise might be able to, um, but they are getting squeezed in a bad way. So, from an economic standpoint, and I'm I'm not advocating kind of a managed economy here, but I, I, do you think that there is a strong argument coming up 
for a sort of a sort of a managed energy transition where well, we have to say well we can't leave it all to the market because mm. it cl clearly we may find that the market actually isn't going to do it that mm. we have a choice between running with the market um or, or literally just and, and destroying the environment no, or, no, um no. i would call it the publicly supported transition perhaps you know the market doesn't allow for it now and there is a need for uh, public you know support financial support for subsidies and so on to Uh, you know, help um, industry uh, electrify earlier, earlier than possible and also to try to accelerate, um, you know, all the low carbon uh, solutions, uh, green uh, hydrogen, uh, including, <laughs> you know, to come earlier to market that is currently the case. But uh, yeah, um, so it's the case for, uh, for mission driven accelerating funding. And also I wanted to mention when I talked about the carbon pricing uh, earlier, you know, it's actually uh, something that I also um, realized uh, over, since our last conversation it's just a negative so it's one one side of the coin which is increasing you know the prices and costs for fossil fuel consumption but you also at the same time which is much more maybe powerful in combination is a carbon reward you know you want to reward actually climate mitigating activities successful you know um, sequestrations of, of carbon and reductions of carbon and So uh, there was this uh, project called Global Carbon Reward. I think we will, will talk we, about we, it yes, too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. going to be one of our discussions, uh, absolutely. Yeah, important uh, part of the you know whole uh, package, uh, policy package, and also needs to include other climate policies, you know, uh, green uh, fiscal spending and uh, uh, you know standards regulations, everything that helps accelerate the transition. I mean, what 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 and sort of leading on to this sort of the, 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 this this if you like the topic of the day. I mean, I think one thing that in this kind of discussion we we're having right now, we're finding is, is that we are kind of it's very easy to go in circles. It's very easy to kind of because it's so hard to find a way forward. There are so many forces that can you know cancel each other out, and so many uh, uh, interests that 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 work against each other. It's it's a very complex. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, situation, uh, market situation, and it's very hard through policy, uh, through conscious and through managed policy to find a way through this because there are all these unintended consequences and so on and so forth. So obviously there are reasons why we haven't moved faster than we have over the last 30 years. And it's not just all down to ill will. I mean, you know, there, there, mm. there has been also mm. Um, mm. good intentions and, and, but it hasn't, hasn't, hasn't been enough. So wow. one issue that we kind of came to in, in our previous uh, discussion is, is we kind of need to, in a way, It's a bit like when you're in the forest and you don't have a compass, you know, yeah. at yeah. what point you begin to think you actually, you kind of, you went astray, you're lost. Yeah. Uh, you kind of, you kind of say, oh, we've been here before, oh, we've been here before. And this kind of sense of not actually making any progress is, is well, it's, it's damaging, you know, in two ways. Yeah. A, because if you don't make progress, it's really bad. And also yeah. it's really bad for morale because we're kind of feeling, you know, oh, we've been going for so long and we're still, you know, so we may as well just give up. So this idea came up, yeah. but if we could somehow monitor, if we could get a handle on on, on, on what are the drivers of, of progress and what are the kind of the, kind of the, the risk indicators along the way and um, what are the opportunity costs that yeah. sort, of, sort of like, you know, we have to manage and consider. Um, that, that if we do this, that we kind of get more of a sense of a compass, if you like, more of a sense of the distance we've traveled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, um, so following to our, our conversation, I um, spent a little time to think about uh, a broader theme, which is civilizational progress, you know, and how it could be uh, defined and how it could be measured, which I think is also Was, was very fascinating, but important to understand the uh, context within which the climate crisis is taking place. And when we ask ourselves, why is it that, you know, for 30, 40 years, we, we didn't really um, do enough to uh, transition, to transform? Uh, there's so many reasons behind it, you know, but including a certain, uh, you know, economic um, paradigm, which in the end also led us to, uh, for you know, many years, underestimate the damages and costs of the climate crisis, the, the underestimate the risks of the climate crisis. And this was you know, the, uh, what, what policymakers uh, got. But not to forget and not to mention this very important uh, you know, misinformation and corporate, uh, you know, anti-social, anti I have to say, lobbyism activities of the, you know, mostly fossil fuel industry. Uh, but, you know, uh, being, um, I think if we had 
as a democracy been uh, very, you know, much stronger than uh, we are currently because we are weakened. Is, is, we could have, we could have, um, you know, taken action 30 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, much stronger action than now. But the, you know, so civilization of progress was for me the, um, uh, the, the basically, let's say, the theme uh, within which I, I, you know, identified very, you know, many different dimensions of progress. You know, it's not just you know, the progress that we made from an, an agrarian society to a post-industrial information society, um, and then. You know, to to what is coming now. I think we, uh, when you look at it uh, from a from a also climate uh, with a climate crisis uh, in mind, uh, we have to recognize that uh, the society that we are currently that we have established is an unsustainable one. You know, which is largely fossil fuel powered. And uh, while we have seen a lot of progress, you know, in, in certain uh, dimensions like. Uh, you know, general literacy and, and uh, life expectancy and GDP increase and so on. Uh, it's, I think that's becoming clear now. It's, it has been a borrowed progress. You know, we borrowed it from the future. And now we have entered a different stage in, in human history where um, it's also becoming clear that it's a time of crisis, of, of also unprecedented crisis, you know, in, in very <laughs> multiple dimensions. I don't have to mention all the crisis we are now, but the outlook has become much more grim than, you know, what used to in the past. We have declining, you know, wage levels, living standards, uh, and uh, yeah, increasing wealth gap and so on. Now, but coming back to uh, what, what, what progress might mean, you know, I, uh, I think, um, so we, we have to look at it from a climate, uh, you know, from a, uh, from a lens or which includes um, the perhaps most important uh, metric of, of progress, at least until we have solved the climate crisis. It's really the atmospheric concentration of, of CO2 in parts per million. You know, we have, uh, if, you, if you look at the, at the data, it's, it's very nicely shown uh, since 1960, you know, over the past uh, 60 years, uh, added 100 parts per million, you know, from roughly 320 to 420. That's, that, has, that has happened in such a short time period when we consider how usually in geologic, geological timeframes, these kind of, uh, you know, developments happen and hasn't happened for millions of years, right? So it's really uh, a severe, um, you know, human intervention in the earth system. Uh, and we have, uh, we have basically uh, moved the earth system outside of a safe operating zone. And uh, the climate science uh, is, is telling us and earth, earth system dynamics, which I you know is fascinating, but also frightening is telling us that there is a possibility uh, of um, you know, longer term cycles that we are entering. Since we are in this dangerous zone, where tipping points um, you know, are uh, starting a hothouse earth dynamic, which may take place over uh, thousands of years. And where uh, over this time frame we will see um, you know, unprecedented temperature increases, but also uh, you know, sea level rises that, that we cannot imagine today, right? Uh, so, it's something we, we have to keep in mind too. And this is also already indicating what, what we may need to, to see progress. So it's the long-term view, right? Uh, thinking, how, what does it take to, to think generations ahead, 100 years ahead, 1,000 years ahead? Um, it's something that we haven't you know, been doing very well yet as a society. Um, so, uh, so, so coming back, the most important metric of progress is, is the PPM of CO2. And we, it's very clear that we have to reduce it until the end of the century. Maybe also until the 22nd century, we have to uh, reach net zero by 2050, ideally, which is only a milestone. Because um, if we want to get uh, the atmospheric concentration of CO2 down, we have to you know, remove CO2 from the atmosphere. We have to get down from today, 420, to you know, the, safe, the safe zone of 350 and below. Again, re basically restore the uh, atmospheric concentration before industrialization began. You know, that, that's, that is our task for the 21st and 22nd century, if you look at it from the big picture view, right? And um, uh, there's, uh, and of course, you know, emissions, global emissions of greenhouse gases, including CO2, are the main, um, you know, variable that you can derive out of that. So I mentioned uh, net zero by 2050. Um, that also includes, uh, uh, if you think about that negative emissions, um, something on the order of perhaps 20 
gigatons by the end of the century, negative emissions. It's a huge scale if you think about it, right? Um, uh, and this can be further broken down into certain, uh, let's say, milestones. And I think if you look at the IEA uh, net zero emissions report, uh, it also has uh, one chart where we can see beautifully several milestones on our way to net zero 2050. So I can say uh, we focus first on becoming uh, you know, carbon neutral as a society. And then, uh, and this is what I think could be um, you know, described as a transition from an unsustainable civilization to a sustainable civilization that is actually operating within the safe uh, boundaries, planetary boundaries. But it's not enough, right? Because we have to then uh, further reduce um, uh, emissions or atmospheric concentration. So we have to become a regenerative civilization. You know, regenerative uh, meaning restoring, repairing, healing. Uh, in ecological terms, uh, there's a much broader, uh, you know, there are many dimensions to being regenerative, uh, you know, social, uh, you know, uh, there's a cultural dimension that I also like to explore. Uh, but coming, you know, staying on the climate issue for now, um, it's clear that we cannot allow uh, new fossil fuel explorations and new fossil fuel powered, uh, you know, um, uh, production capacity. But it's what's happening, right? So this is one of those milestones uh, where I think progress has been achieved when uh, new fossil fuel exploration ceases to you know, I mean, in a way, there's, there's two sets of issues here, isn't there? There's the kind of the what issues, what do we need to do? And you've been talking about the what uh, here, uh, but there's also the how issue. And it's the how where we've encountered the problem. I think on the what, there is global agreement. I don't think there's much disagreement on, on the what, not what needs to happen. Yeah. Um, it's the how do we get there? And in a way- so, I, Yeah, yeah. So there's uh, several things to the how. Uh, so I mentioned the net zero emissions report by the IEA. So first is no new fossil fuel capacity. Then uh, renewable energy needs to uh, expand uh, drastically, right? So we need uh, by 2030 more than thousand gigawatts annual solar wind additions, according to the IEA. Model, you know, we need 70% uh, uh, electricity production by 2050 by solar and wind alone, for example. So these are the kind of, but but you have another dimension which is climate finance, right? I mentioned the climate finance gap. So scaling up climate finance to 4.3 trillion US dollar annually by 2030, uh, and this all hopefully translates into increasing electric market share, electric uh, product market share, like electric vehicles uh, by 2030 reaching 60% global market share. You know? which is a huge uh, uh, transition, very ambitious. Uh, same with electric heat pumps, 50% um, by 2045, according to the IEA. Uh, and then we need the, you know, to, to make this all happen, it's important to have climate policy, which includes a global carbon price, average carbon price of at least, you know, 75 US dollar by 2030, for example, but global average, right? Right now, the global average is, is substantially lower. It's less than $5 per ton. If you consider that most is not even uh, covered by a carbon pricing scheme uh, today in the world, uh, and we need the, you know, I think good resource to measure progress is the Climate Action Tracker. Climate Action Tracker uh, has uh, on its website uh, uh, is calculating an emissions gap, you know, for 2030, for example, looking at uh, current uh, policies and pledges, and the emissions gap is is massive. It's still, I think, something like 19 gigatons by 2030 that have not been, you know covered, addressed by uh, concrete climate policies yet. And we have to reduce it down to zero. Um, yeah, and then I think another dimension is the climate urgency awareness in the general population. And uh, uh, I think uh, what would be reasonable targets, you know, something like 20 to 25% of the population being, you know, really climate activists, for example, is, is what you need for, to create a critical mass, for example, or, Maybe at least fifty percent of the population being uh, activist or alarmed, you know, or even more being activist, alarmed, or concerned, you know. So there are these um, different levels that uh, the Yale Communication um, uh, Group has uh, developed, you know, ranging from alarmed, concerned, you know, over uh, uh, to to. That's actually uh, a really interesting matrix, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Because yeah. but activist not included, so I added activist as an you know, even more than alarmed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I yeah, think yeah. that's, you know, I think that that kind of thinking, that kind of matrix is really important because 
Uh, I think it does start with mindset, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's the, we, we, you know, I think we see this. I mean, this is kind of getting back to like the early part of this discussion. You know, we see if the mindset isn't really there yet, not really formed, then it looks very sudden that we want to basically no longer have Russian oil and gas. And that we, we see this as a threat because our mindset hasn't actually adjusted to a low fossil fuel economy. Um, so, so we're still on this other on the other side of that fence. We haven't actually crossed that line and then kind of try to find a way of surviving there. We're still on the other side and kind of contemplating what it might be like on the other side. So, and it's, it's, yeah, I think that's yeah. in a way the kind of matrix I have in my in my mind at the moment is yeah. that there's kind of three uh, sort yeah. of levels, yeah. um, and the kind of policies the kind of schemes we, we we kind of in a way want to encourage and i think the idea of sort of a, a of carbon pricing and a and a climate income is a beautiful one because it reaches across all of three of these kind of uh, levels there is the kind of the global level you know where we're really looking at sort of multilateral agreements and and at the messy world of you know uh, uh, cop uh, uh, meetings and so on and so forth and it's a, it's a kind of it's the wild west of, of decision making. There's very few rules. People break them all the time, and and it's a difficult layer. Oh, uh, oh. Then there is this sort of national layer, and you get massive variance there. You get kind of like environmentally responsible countries or more responsible, and you get total polluters, and you get everything in between. And then oh. you get that individual level, and 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 the, and and so so you have these three levels. So oh, the, the, oh, the, the oh. you know. The population or the individuals within it, uh -huh. uh, the nation state, uh -huh. uh, and then the kind of the, the global level, and the European Union kind of sort of sits between uh -huh. the global and the, and, and the national. Uh, and you've uh -huh. got other supranational organizations, like World Trade Organization, and others who again sort of sit in between that, or you know the whole the, the G7, the G20, uh -huh. and all these people. Uh -huh. But in a way, they're all kind of trying to mediate between national interest and kind of like you know yeah. sort of. Um, so if we if we take these three levels, you know, the individual, the nation state, and kind of planet Earth, um, the, the, the global level, um, and and we we, we think about um, in the measuring effectiveness of 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 of, of, of an idea, like for example, um, you know, like uh, carbon pricing, we can sort of see well, it, it's an interesting one because it allows for a kind of the market to kind of organize itself globally that's it's great because it deals with the the yeah. messiness of global decision making in a kind of interesting way uh, but even that requires uh, coordination and cooperation at the international level you know uh, you have uh, fortunately mechanisms like uh, carbon uh, border adjustment mechanisms you know that help to um, you know even limit carbon pricing if it's limited to a certain region uh, you can still um, you know, at least to some extent, adjust for differences and, uh, you know, basically incentivize other countries who don't have a carbon pricing yet to, you know, include one as well, because otherwise they would have to pay tariffs and so on. So uh, it's a good example for how you can see you can different countries can move at different speeds, but it's important to at least have some kind of climate club of the biggest polluters of the most determined, you know, uh, countries that start with, uh, you know, uh, creating the incentives uh, uh, and changing incentive structures. But actually, I wanted to build on your uh, earlier point about mindsets, because one, one aspect, one, one thought that came to mind is that civilizational progress has also a cultural dimension, a cultural philosophical dimension, and one which is uh, difficult to measure. You know, when we, the title is what's difficult to measure, uh, you know, it cannot easily be managed, but it's important to be aware of it and also to appreciate certain you know the qualitative aspects of it, and also I think when you think about what is uh, what what's the difference between an unsustainable civilization that we have now and how would that look like in a regenerative civilization? You know, one that is uh, some kind of you know, of course there's an utopian quality to it. You know, but there are certain things uh, that come to mind, like uh, how do we define happiness? You know, right now in an unsustainable civilization, it's very much very closely linked to material you know ownership wealth and monetary terms but you know there's a lot of wisdom in um, redefining happiness to uh, you know to human connection uh, to social justice and having you know advanced needs self material you know self-realization and so on being met so this is just one one dimension uh, uh, happiness and the other one which is very important i think is also the relationship between uh, man and nature you know, humankind and nature and uh, in an unsustainable civilization, it's really 
uh, an exploitative you know relationship that that humankind uh, exploits nature and dominates it whereas in a regenerative civilization it's it's um, uh, um, again uh, you know trying to get back to the earlier harmonic state where we recognize interdependence you know and we try to restore and, and reconciliate with uh, nature and try to you know find our place again for example so you know you can see uh, these are the dimensions which are uh, uh, which is important to to reflect on another one is the uh, for example self identity very important because if we want international cooperation to happen uh, i think it's 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 important to also um, you know uh, for us for our generation to learn to identify ourselves as members of the human species you know this is something that uh, because we have different ways of um, self-identity. Um, in many cases, they are very individualistic or nationalistic or tribal, but it's not the only one. Of course, we are all human beings, right? And so, uh, uh, you know, if we were more aware of, of this common, you know, shared, uh, shared purpose, shared destiny, and uh, the commonality that we all share, and there's also a community of life, which we are part of, right? So trying to, you know, having a, a wider scope of our self-identity allows us uh, a loss for more kind of universal empathy, right? It's 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 uh, which is currently otherwise limited to members of your own group or tribe, but you have to expand that uh, to global and intergenerational empathy, um, and this is also a requirement for the kind of you know cooperation that we need in the long term. Long termism. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, this is something that uh, uh, is one of those examples. So in the end, it's the circle of compassion and the ability to cooperate on an international level, to uh, leave the current um, you know, state of anarchy between nation states. Um, it's something that is holding us back really, as, which is creating huge uh, so, uh, security risks, the geopolitical rivalry, risk of armed conflicts. We have this um, you know, state of anarchy uh, because we have no supranational effective governance because you know, the, the ones that we have, the International Court of Justice, uh, uh, we have, I think, the uh, early ideas, you know, of a of a United Nations that actually was supposed to, you know, govern for peace, but is currently not uh, capable of doing so because it needs to be reformed, right? So I think progress and regenerative civilization can be recognized that we finally have managed to leave that state of anarchy between nation states and, you know, um, have an effective uh, supranational governance in place. And also one that allows for much stronger legal standing of future generations of nature, of climate refugees. They need to have legal standing that can be supranationally enforced. You know, this is what progress should look like in the end. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I find this, uh, you know, when, when you need to buy a new computer, um, very few people, uh, you know, myself included for many years. Uh, in fact, I'm still likely to go for the fastest machine I can afford. But uh, but th there is this kind of thing that to play it safe, we just go for the best thing we can afford or the, the fastest thing or whatever, rather than really asking ourselves, you know, and the same goes for mobile phones and for other kind of gadgets and other things, rather than asking us what actually are my needs? You know, I mean, like if, if I'm not a gamer, if I'm not, you know, like a YouTuber or whatever, I don't need fast processing speed. If it's just a typewriter, uh, then, then you know, a much more simple machine would, would do. That would also consume far less energy. Um, and, and this goes for almost all things. I mean, we're debating yeah. again a speed limit on cars, yeah? Mm, so why do yeah. we still produce yeah. cars? I mean, Germany is the only country that doesn't have a speed limit. So why do we still produce cars that kind of go like, you know, 180, 190, 200 or more miles an hour, you know, or whatever, 250, 300 mm. kilometers an hour. You know, why, yeah. why, why are we doing this? You know, this is, this is the, that mindset, um, you know, as, as understandable as it is, and you know, as sexy as it is to have a fast car and a fast computer and, you know, the latest this and the latest that, yeah. if we cannot move from that mindset to another mindset that yeah. doesn't make us feel inferior or doesn't make us feel like yeah. we're hippies or we're kind of, yeah. you know, we're sort of oddballs or outcasts or, you know, if, if we can't find a sort of a lifestyle model that doesn't build on maximum consumption, uh, we're kind of doomed. And, yeah. and I, I believe, you know, and it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's sort of, it's a difficult thing to, 
to, to kind of to align with, you know, sort of like foundational values of capitalism, because it builds yeah. very much around generation of needs and, and, and yeah. exploitation yeah. of, of, yeah. of, of uh, differential and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, so how do we, um, yeah. you know, this is the thing. So, so um, where it becomes very, very difficult. And, and I wonder whether there is a sort of, a, I mean, I do believe there could be a milder form of capitalism. And I do believe mm -hmm. the, the kind of work you of guys course. are doing is, 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 is very much needed, you know, so I'm not, I'm not arguing against that at all. But at the same time, I see the contradictions in it. You know, I see that, you know, like really like a kind of a, a world that's based on extraction, whether we're extracting mm -hmm. financial value or whether we're yeah, extracting sure. resources. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, such a regenerative, right? So what we what we clearly need is a is a great transition from an unsustainable civilization to a regenerative one. But I think there is a step in between. Like if we we have to reach net zero emissions first, we have to become a sustainable civilization first. Uh, I think we can use this step in between to um, you know uh, uh, modify uh, the current uh, form of capitalism that is unsustainable to become sustainable and then from there it's a smaller step to become regenerative you know but um, uh, so when you think in two phases the first transition to a sustainable civilization that is low carbon and so on once we have managed to you know uh, change the, the incentive structures and legal frameworks and so on so that we have and which also includes by the way uh, some kind of legal standing for future generations and nature you know, ecocide law is currently being discussed. So these are, uh, at the horizon at least, developments uh, that point at the regenerative, uh, you know, civilization. But uh, there may be interim steps where we first have to establish a legal standing and then make sure that they can be effectively enforced in the future. You know, uh, as a next step, right? Mm -hmm. But. Uh, um, uh, this is, I think, uh, already uh, transforming also uh, the economic system uh, to such an extent that uh, it's, it's um, you know, much more easy to imagine uh, regenerative forms. So, of, so, so a, a last concept within this, uh, within this concept I'd like to address. So, I mean, my sense is, is in terms of measuring progress, we're coming up against a number of difficulties. One is that it's very, very difficult to sort of extract the actual units of measurement to sort of say we're going to go for this and, and for example in the in the cultural field i mean yeah. people have applied the sort of no, the kind of concepts of sort of social capital to cultural capital and so on and so forth mm. and you can model things around using mm. you using the, these ideas but it's difficult because it, there's still arbitrary choices involved um and um yeah. and so so and but the other thing more fundamental about measuring progress in that context i think is is when you're talking not about something linear, but when you're talking about something that is transformative, potentially revolutionary, then progress gets sort of kind of scrambled, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's because it's it, it isn't linear either. So yeah. um, so there is a, there's an issue in terms of how do we? I mean, you said said in our previous conversation, the, the, the point will come when the transition just happens. You know that that there is yeah. going to be this this magical point this tipping point when we're kind yeah. of when we're waking up uh, kind of thing so sad um, tipping point yeah hopefully at some point hopefully. not too late yeah that's the thing no but i think um uh, we can there are certain uh, proxies we can apply that maybe not you know i think uh, if you look at something like short termism versus long termism uh, difficult to measure but there are maybe indications that show oh you know this is a society that is planning for the long term right uh, uh, i mean even if we will really taking net zero by 2050 serious, you know, this is already showing we have expanded our time horizon at least by, by that time. And we are thinking uh, about, uh, you know, the end of the century too, increasingly, uh, you know, but uh, maybe we have need, and this is another, of course, uh, a very uh, important aspect to replace uh, GDP as a measure of success, right? So that sustainable civilization is purely focused on GDP and doesn't, you know, it's not capable of recognizing all the externalities that are undesirable. And so what's better, um, there is, a, you know, the planetary uh, boundaries adjusted human development index, for example, which might serve as a proxy. Uh, in the end, uh, ideally, we have uh, some kind of genuine progress, um, you know, not maybe indicator, but indicators and understand that it cannot be just, you know, uh, expressed in one number, but uh, that we have to think about progress in multiple dimensions, you know, including cultural, including you know, uh, uh, justice uh, and supranational law and global governance and democracy, you know, how can we measure the quality of uh, public discourse that it's rational, science-based, you know, sound, uh, uh, fact-based. Uh, uh, I think we, we know it when we see it, but 
not not all, but uh, this is the kind of um, you know uh, a quality of uh, democracy that is um, I think we can you know identify indicators that show us okay this is getting into the you know moving into the right direction and we we know already right now we are not there right we have an indication that uh, the quality of public discourse has deteriorated substantially over the past you know decade. Yeah, it has. There's, so, so, so this, this is one last aspect in this context I'd like to address. So, if it's if, if it's kind of difficult to say whether we are kind of moving closer to sustainable future, uh, um, maybe one other way or kind of a complementary way of kind of monitoring or you know sort of something is just to look not uh, to look at um, at risk. So, so, so the the, yeah. the the idea there could be um, to sort of say, well, how could we ensure that we move away rather than moving towards a better future we're moving away from current risks yeah. so yeah. we can make you know so this is mitigation against current risks this is uh, and we can these risks come in different forms and shapes uh, but yeah. if, if you identify risks and sort of say yeah. this and this and this and this this are risks the closer we get to that position the more exposed we are to that risk yeah, of I mean, stranded asset risk is a very, you know, uh, salient example, and it's currently at unsustainable levels. And we are still increasing uh, stranded asset risk by continuing to, you know, to invest in fossil fuel exploration. And uh, another aspect of, of risk is uh, very, very, you know, relevant today. Nuclear war, you know, risk of nuclear war is uh, indicated by the uh, bulletin of the atomic, uh, you know, the atomic doomsday clock, so to say, right? It yeah. is, moved uh, towards midnight at the, even even over the past uh, several years and now of course it's it's uh, very you know closer maybe than it has ever been right um, there is a biodiversity risk risk of mass extinction coming this century right and something that uh, uh, is is not is not decreasing but increasing of course it's very yeah. closely linked to increasing you know global temperatures and so on uh, but there are many i think also this is important when we think about risk we are not we should it's important not to limit ourselves to the, you know, financial risk in sense of the, the financial uh, assets that may be, you know, uh, impaired uh, due to uh, extreme weather events. But it's much broader than that. There are cascading societal risks that lead to, you know, water stresses, food shortages, uh, and uh, armed conflicts and so on. Right. So these are um, uh, societal uh, secondary effects of uh, rising temperatures that. Uh, also uh, are difficult to quantify in terms of their economic damages, right? But very real. And um, so so in a way, the, the damages are incalculable, you know? And, and so, so um, I mean, sort of just, just to, con to con conclude this, I mean, how, I mean, the question that sort of, that I was wondering when we sort of like, uh, we sort of left our last conversation that I was kind of trying to come sort of to to, uh, to terms with in, in this conversation yeah. is, is, is yeah. Yeah. Is there a way that we can yeah. use our frustrations if we can structure and kind of express them through data um, to use yeah. it as a, as a stick, if you like, so, so that, yeah. you know, because, of course, you know, policymakers for very clear political short term yeah. reasons uh, will always find a way of putting a sort of a positive spin uh, on on on, yeah. on 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 quite difficult uh, situations, and yeah. that kind of, in a way, can be counterproductive because, of course, you can only sustain that for so long. At some point, you know, it, it just, uh, you know, it, it just is no longer uh, credible. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so, a physical so, reality that cannot be denied. You know. Yeah. Uh, so, so the question is, is, is could uh, you know, climate activists by being more rigorous about um, about plotting their kind of their lack of progress, if you like, however they, um, however they do that, whether they do that at a sort of at a cultural and an economic at a whatever level, and also the increasing ex or our increasing exposure to environmental risk um, and, and climate risk, you know, could, could um, how could we, how could that be instrumentalized so that it becomes a toolkit uh, for the climate? Uh, lobby, uh, both sort of on the activist, but also for people like yourself uh, in, 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 in client meetings. Um, to, um, you know, how, 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 is there a way that such a toolkit could be developed? Because you think that, for example, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the atmospheric concentration of CO2 is in the end what matters. As long as that increases, it's not even stabilized, it doesn't decline, you know, it has to decline quickly. 
uh, we, we cannot be satisfied, right? So looking at that single indicator uh, is maybe also a good test. Do we contribute to you know reducing it or not? And, and it leads to greenhouse gas emissions too. Uh, but I think what you have in mind is more, you know, uh, I also mentioned the climate action tracker. If that is maybe helpful, it's more abstract, of course. It's just looking at different climate policies and how you know uh, helpful they are, to what extent they, they contribute to uh, the Paris Agreement and so on. But um, uh, I think maybe if we need the strong argument, it's about the, the costs and benefits of the climate crisis, and this is what uh, politicians will, will listen to. Uh, if we take uh, the you know most, uh, so we mentioned this this cascading. The systemic effects and secondary risks, uh, but um, even if you don't take them into account, the, the uh, you know costs and damages of unmitigated climate change are so uh, you know colossal compared to the gains that are so huge. If we you know manage to transition, create good jobs, and so on, so we have this very clear cost-benefit uh, you know analysis also that the IPCC report uh, uh, points to uh, that should be a no-brainer, right? So. Maybe just hammering home that message to uh, policymakers uh, against the uh, misinformation uh, that is that is of course making it much more difficult. And also, we we spoke about uh, this, you know, what the crisis of uh, as a crisis of democracy, of of science literacy. We have um, really really at a time when we need this clarity on costs and benefits. You know, we have so much confusion about it, and uh, uh, people who are living in different realities who, you know, totally. Uh, alien concept to them, you know, to think that there is a climate crisis that is causing huge costs, for example, or that transition could be beneficial. They see transition as a as a huge, uh, you know, uh, cost in, in itself. And so, you know, we have to debate this. We have to find a common understanding of what it is really that is at stake and what it is that we can gain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um. Moving forward, I, I, I'm kind of I was thinking, where would we take that conversation from here? Um, we, we started off talking um, talking of concepts, uh, uh, you know, carbon pricing, a climate dividend or a carbon dividend, uh, yeah. climate income, and from there we kind of moved into this whole question of how do you operationalize that and 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 how do you measure. Uh, whether you're actually making any progress or whether you're just going in, in circles with a, a beautiful idea, uh, you know, and, and everybody's getting excited about that idea, but we're not actually moving moving forward, we're not actually having any impact. So what I what I wonder what would be quite interesting, and very much if you like the sort of the in the spirit of reboot 2030. I mean, we, I sort of see a kind of, and we all see a kind of a a, a very narrow window of. 10 to 15 years where a lot of stuff needs to happen uh, if we want to reach, credibly reach yeah. the targets we have set ourselves. Yeah. So I, I wonder, um, yeah, some of the reboot contributors are running their own, often global, whatever, you know, initiative. And, and, and this is a natural thing to track. So we, I can come back and talk to John Bunselin in, 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 in two years time about Simpol and see how that develops and so on and so forth. It's, um, um, in our conversation, I wonder whether we could pick, whether we could pick either one or a small basket of, um, of companies that you consider are transformative. Um, and and we, we build a sort of a dialogue around that. So, wow. you know, but really with a sort of a longer term perspective. So there was a saying, well, you know, these companies have set themselves ambitious targets to do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, mm. the way an analyst would look at it or the way, you know, we sort of see, and of course, ideally, it's not about being critical of them. In quite, in fact, the opposite. It's about, you know, providing some inspiration mm. and some reflection um, mm. uh, uh, along the way. Would that be something that you um, could... Uh, I would have to think about it because I'm a bit skeptical about, uh, you know, what single companies can do, given that, the, you know, uh, there's a structural systemic... Uh, change that is needed, uh, but there are organizations that are working towards, you know, structural and systemic change, which I think is also, if you, if you look more into those uh, nonprofits, how they're doing, that might be interesting. Yeah. And uh, on the other hand, I also uh, uh, created a little framework, a little presentation on, uh, you know, uh, about civilizational progress and regenerative civilization was unsustainable. I would like to send you those slides. 
you know, perhaps you can. Oh no, yeah, absolutely, and like I'll find a way of putting it out, putting in, in sort of adding it, adding it um, to, to to the website so that that yeah. it's available for people afterwards. Definitely. Okay. Um, so, um, how do you feel about us kind of like just getting back to that kind of question, sort of offline, if you like, and then over the next a couple of weeks or months kind of seeing whether yeah. I totally agree it doesn't have to sure. be a commercial enterprise it can very much be a not-for-profit it can be it doesn't even have to necessarily be a incorporated organization it, it can yeah. be it could be an, a network yeah. uh, of yeah. people um, yeah. you know uh, but but the, the idea being that we kind of get our teeth into a concrete problem into a concrete you know attempt to to, to make a change um, yeah. uh, you know and, and of course it would be good to have an organization that's given itself clear targets so that we can you know they say well by 2030 i mean you know um we need to achieve x or y or z um and and we reflect on that and sort of you know uh, uh see, see whether they get there would is, do you think that's something you would yeah. um yeah yeah sure let's do it <laughs> i think that'd be an interesting interesting yeah. thing to do um listen uh young yin thank you very very much it's been it's been it's been great and this time it's exactly uh, five o'clock we've been you know the timing yeah. has been thank brilliant you. Um, so thank you very much. Do send me your uh, your, your yeah, slides, and um, and I'll sort of add them to, add them to uh, to uh, you know to the website. Thanks a lot. And, and also link it obviously to to this uh, video so that people can 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 cross reference and see it. Looking forward to following up the conversation and uh, developing further the idea of. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Good luck with your new job. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Bye bye. bye, -bye.